Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vish Want and Partha. And we're back with our college football sprint with Zach Smith. Zach, how are you doing, man? I'm great, man. Great. You got a little maction. This week, uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys love Mac football like I do, but did you see the Western Michigan Toledo game last week? I missed it. I know oh they always my like. Gosh, it's like games. it's like arena football, but college football. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that one went right down to the wire, right? Yeah, Western Michigan. So, um, long story short, Western Michigan's up ten, and or uh, uh, I'm sorry, they were up four. I think Toledo gets a bogus first down, ends up scoring, and. It, no, that was to go up 10. And so Western Michigan drove down and scored, got the onside kick, drove down, and on a fake spike, they threw a touchdown pass to a receiver that was just wide open, last like second to last play of the game. It was I wild. See, I did wow. see the highlights for this one, oh. but oh my God. Fake spike, by the way, has to be one of the best plays in football. No doubt. No doubt. Like <laughs> all the way back from Dan Marino, and now you see it in, in the Mac. It's like, oh, just such an awesome brand of football the Mac is. Just it's only unique niche. In the highlight, the receiver had like rushed the snap because he saw the defense wasn't paying attention. It ran like right when the ball snapped. I saw him like, hey guys, like <laughs> yeah. I'm like wide open. Throw it over there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> how's your how's your alma mater looking this year? Ooh, well, which alma mater is the question? <laughs> I went to three colleges. Um well, technically graduated from Florida, so now we're talking about bowling. Yeah, Bowling Green. Yeah, they uh they are not doing well. But but the head coach Scott Leffler is one of my be- like best friends, and he'll get it turned around. They just they're not they're not looking good right now. Yeah, it, you you go through re- rebirths with those schools every few years when the coaches no go for for bigger jobs or things don't work out. Um, but you know it's hard to replace Urban Meyer. So <laughs> really hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, Man. Let's 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 talk about this Maryland Ohio State situation here. Obviously, the game got canceled due to COVID, but it took a life of its own on Twitter, where suddenly Ohio State fans and analysts from everywhere started saying that uh, Maryland did this intentionally, that they didn't have enough COVID cases to justify the cancellation, and they were just trying to dodge Ohio State. I don't buy that story, uh, Zach. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm, I, I think that, and I, what I said preseason was that this COVID situation was going to create a competitive advantage or disadvantage for college coaches to use, right? It's no different than recruiting or anything else. Like it's such a competitive market that anything they can use or find to find an edge or prevent something bad from happening, they use. And I mean, yeah. all the way, I mean, there's colleges down South that use churches to funnel money. Like they don't care. They'll use anything to find an advantage or an edge. And I mean, it's just, it's criminal that the Big Ten doesn't have some form of like checks and balances put in place. Just going back to the failed leadership of Kevin Warren and all the presidents, just that we don't know if Maryland exceeded any, you know, regulatory threshold to cancel the game. Wisconsin, same thing. Barry Alvarez, after the first game, was basically like, hey, our starting quarterback got COVID. We we got kind of an issue. We need to push pause. And everyone just was like, oh, okay. Like, have at it. Push pause, man. It's COVID. It's 2020. Do what you want. 
Yeah. And so from what I heard, the P, they didn't do the, I think it's PCR testing. I'm certainly not a medical expert, but yeah. they didn't do the, the right testing to make sure they weren't false positives. They didn't ever clear the threshold. They just basically said, ah, we got some cases. Ohio State's really good. Let's not play. Do you, do you think that that's something your guy Loxley as the comp- type of competitor he is would do? Oh, for sure. Really? For sure. Okay. I mean, it, it, he's got the program kind of on an upswing. Why would he want to take a 42 point loss to Ohio state to kind of derail the momentum? I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past him or really any of these coaches to do it. Yes. Speaking of, of dodging games and potentials, Partha, you dug up something on Reddit, uh, about a unique situation brewing with. Yeah, dude. I I need to confirm this with you, Zach. So I was, I was, you know, doing my scrolling this weekend and I heard that if, uh, Indiana were to have COVID cases and cancel their matchup with us, then they would actually be ranked above us in the Big Ten. And that would that would kind of throw a whole wrench into everything. Is that true? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the the what the it's just so weird. Like all the tiebreakers are like yeah, yeah. they're the thrown fourth, out. They went it's through like, the top three tiebreakers and the fourth one, I guess, Indiana. So, yeah, it's it's because their opponents that they beat, from what I read, have better records than the opponents Ohio State has beat thus far. Dude, you know, obviously, yeah. we've seen everyone we've beat just completely fall apart. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's it's unfortunate that I believe that there's moves being made like that. Now, obviously, what is it? It's already Wednesday, and a game hasn't been canceled yet. So you'd think that it's going to be played, and and all will not be lost. Right. But just the fact that that could happen and like a school like Indiana could potentially maybe not fabricate, but if you look at how the percentages and everything works, like there is selectivity in who you test that you could either not surpass the threshold or you could surpass it. Like if you just test the kids that do test positive multiple times, the percentage of positives go up and vice versa, right? If you got 10 kids that have it, just test them once and get them out of the building and test the negative kids a thousand times and your percentages is lower. So you've given these programs so much freedom to kind of use this at their disposal. And so I guess kudos to Indiana if they don't do that, or maybe Tom Allen's sitting there like, we still have no positive tests. Just give me one. I'll test them a thousand times. Like who knows? But hopefully we didn't, hopefully we didn't give away something on this, on this podcast. Right. So if you're, if you're Indiana, right, they've been playing really well this year, much better than we expected. Is it more worth it to your program, even if you lose to Ohio State, to put up a good fight from a recruiting standpoint? Is that a bigger win for them than playing if they were to, say, like strategize using COVID to get out of the game and you know get a higher ranking? What, would, what, what do you think is a better move? I mean, the, be- the best move would be to play in Indianapolis. They've never done that. Um, that would be monumental for the program. But, I mean, if they can put up a sh- strong showing against Ohio State, that would be huge also. You know, it, it just yeah. shows – it would show recruits that they are the next in-, in the pecking order in the Big Ten. You know, they're not recruiting against Ohio State on anyone. They're going to recruit against Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and some of the schools that aren't – the national power that Ohio State is right now, if they can show recruits like, look, we lost Ohio State by four points. Everyone else got beat by 28. We were the second best team in the Big Ten. Why would you want to go to Purdue? That's huge for them. Yeah. So I, I think I think they want to play. And and yeah. I think they I think they feel pretty good that that they'll make this a game. And I, I think they'll make it a game for sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll get more into the analysis of the, the actual game here in a second. 
Sorry, guys. Might be COVID. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about last week's games, right? One of the bigger storylines was Cincinnati again. Um, not just that they're winning, but how they're winning. Um, and I guess the East Carolina coach after the game went up to um, Luke Fickle and had a pretty uh, intense conversation with him, after which he didn't even shake his hand. Yeah. What do you think about the situation there in Cincinnati? Obviously, you understand when you're a team like Cincinnati who's not a Power 5 school and you're trying to get into the playoff, style points do matter. Whether the committee says it or not, they do matter. So Cincinnati adding an extra touchdown or two against East Carolina probably does strengthen their case. Um, but there's also the sportsmanship aspect of this thing. The game was well out of hand. And why is Luke Fickle continuing to run the score up? What are your thoughts on on that? I mean, the optics certainly weren't good. I mean, they faked a punt to keep that last drive alive <laughs> yeah. or the final touchdown. It's like, man, it's one thing to throw the ball and try to score, but to fake a punt, that's like, whoo, man, you yeah. really want to score. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's the reality of, of – of college football. And I mean, you, you, you look at what, what that means to Cincinnati. Like they're trying to, what a year, this is the year that a, a, a group of five could maybe possibly make it if there ever was a year. Right. Yeah. And so why would they not swing as hard as they can and try to hit that home run, try to connect and like, sorry, you're in your feelings, East Carolina, stop our offense. Then we're trying to do something big. And if you can stop us, then stop us. And if not, then let us try to go chase our dreams. This is kind of my philosophy. And I think mm -hmm. that's probably what the conversation entailed was Luke just telling him like, listen, we're trying to, we're trying to be as explosive and as good as we can be. Cause we have big, big goals, you know, no meant no disrespect, but we're just trying to, we're trying to do something that's never been done before. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's football. Stop it. Right. Be prepared and stop it. Like, um, it's one thing to say something after the game. Um, but I think at the end of the day, just you're going to play them again next year, take a mental note of it That's and, it, and, and get better. You That's know? it. And I, I, I go to back to, I think it was, Oh man, 2007 when we were at Florida, we played Georgia, no Sean Marino scored a touchdown and the whole Georgia team rushed the field. Right. Yeah. And it was like the amount of disrespect was immense. It was enormous. And, but that, I mean, that motivated us for the whole off season to just beat the brakes off of Georgia the next year. And then we got, you know, we got our payback, right? Urban's calling timeouts in the fourth quarter just to run a couple more plays just because he's like, yes, yeah, you know, screw you, buddy. Like, yeah. I hope you enjoy that little dance on the field. We're up 49 to 10 right now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to do that. This is football. It's competition. Right, it's sports. It's fun. Like go, yeah. go ahead. East Carolina, have a great off season and go beat that ass next year. Then if you're mad, like that's Definitely. football. That's, yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you. Yeah, I'm with you too. I hate the argument in sports that you should be, you know, if if the for the time you're on the field, I think it's your responsibility to win by as much as possible. And then the second you leave the field, it's your responsibility to be a kind and gracious winner. But for sure. When yeah. you're on the field and the game's still got time on it, we've seen teams go easy and then all of a sudden it gets turned back into a game. Why would you risk that? Especially yeah. to your point, B, when you're trying to prove that you're building a real program. Yeah. One of one of the most notorious high school football coaches that Buckeye fans know all too well now, Kerry Combs, used to I mean, when he was at Coleraine, they were just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they just they blew everyone out. They just ran ran this the the state and certainly Cincinnati. And he used to famously go up to coaches pregame and shake the you know how coaches do shake hands, say hello, good luck, you know, 
But he would always say, he'd say, listen now, I'm playing my starters for the whole first half and we're going to play as hard as we can. So I don't mm -hmm. want any mixed feelings or you being upset if we hang 55 on you in the first half. And then after that, I'll pull them out and put my backups in, but they need the reps. So they're going to try to score too. Yeah. It's like the audacity and conceited nature that Kerry, you know, would have that conversation before the game, piss people off, but then he, he always did it. And it's just so funny because that he let them know beforehand, like, listen, don't be mad at me. This is what I'm going to do. Don't be, don't be mad after the game. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and man, like, I, I see this in sports as well as business, right? But a lot of people have trouble separating the personal aspect from oh, the competition yeah. aspect, right? But you know, if you get if you get hired to win, that's what you're there to do. You know, yeah. nothing personal about it. And I and I think you also have to to remember college is the next level. It's one thing if if it's the little giants and little league football, and you know one team is dominant and the other team has just a whole bunch of average or below average players you definitely don't want to do that in that situation but now you're talking about pretty much you know the minor leagues and in college these guys have gone through many levels of competition and know what it is um and and should be able to handle handle anything that comes their way well can i even say i think like i'm a proponent like if i you know i don't have any kids right but mm -hmm. if i had a kid and they were on you know the first year of team right whatever sport I'm an advocate of winning by as much as possible because I think that when you really allow yourself to be as great as you can be, there's so much you learn, so much wiring that changes in your brain about how you see yourself and how you see the world. I just see it almost as like a, a moral imperative from a coaching standpoint to show your guys mm -hmm. what they truly can be because winners on the field translate to winners in life. They know how to put their stuff together. They know how to prepare. They know how to work hard. Um, we've heard all about the winning culture from Zach in the last few weeks. And um, I, the, the reason so many people have a problem with it is because they can't do it, right? So it's them projecting their own insecurities or lack of confidence onto for the people sure. who can do it. But for the people who can do it, they should do it. Otherwise, they're going to have that same like lack of confidence in their brain for a really long part of their lives. So uh, I'm a huge advocate of like, be as great as you can be at all times and don't ever apologize for it. Yeah. And you know what? The other side of it is thinking about my, I have a 10 year old is like, if you're getting beat like that, there is, there is so many lessons to be learned about playing, you know, for self-respect and playing just because you, you played it because you love the game and you're going to go hard, even if you're down four touchdowns, like there's so much to be learned yeah. that I don't see, I don't think it's a bad thing for either side, really, if you take your feelings out of it. Yeah. Plus, remember that Penn State receiver, I think it was number five when we played them who, you know, we were up by a lot. And he bodied our guys in the second half, got that yeah. one-handed catch down the sideline. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Mean, that's what I respect is somebody who's like, you know, you're down. You're going to lose the game. But yeah. when you're still playing harder than everyone else on the field, like that, that's amazing to me. And yeah. it's indicative of the program. We saw it with Rutgers, right? Rutgers was getting beat, but they were fighting to the very end against Ohio State. They weren't going to win. Everyone knew they weren't going to win, but they fought. And it yeah. showed you so much about the character of the team and the program, the culture, everything. You just learned so much about Rutgers and how now people are like, ooh, in a couple of years, Rutgers might be okay. Yep, especially yeah. in the first year of a new coach and a new program, it's important to establish what your culture is going to be. And yep. no excuses, which is, I agree with you guys, no excuses generally is a theme in life that that applies you know and don't make excuses you know get better if someone beats you then 
You know, it's up to them how they want to beat you, right? If you right. know you're significantly better than someone, you know, maybe you do let off the gas a little bit when you know that. But if if you still aren't secure in your own greatness, then, you know, you do have to establish that, you know? Definitely. So definitely yeah. agree with you guys. And, and speaking of greatness, we've got three great college quarterbacks going, maybe four if you include Mound in, in the discussion in college football. I want to start with a guy we keep keeps making us talk about him is Kyle Trask. Yeah. Um, every week, it seems like he keeps strengthening his case, and it seems like he's improving also in low aspects of his game every week. What What are your thoughts on this this race? And then also whether or not um, Fields, Justin Fields, with the reduced number of games, if he continues to perform at the clip that he's performing at where he's got more touchdowns than incompletions. Right. Is he a serious contender for this or is it, is it, is it pretty much Mac Jones and Kyle Trask? I mean, I think what you're going to see is uh, Kyle Trask is, is having a phenomenal year. What you've seen is he's had some outside receivers start to make a play here and there, which has helped him. Um, but I, I still don't think he's he. I think he's a step below Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, and Mac Jones. And the guy that's the outlier that no one wants to talk about is Zach Wilson at BYU, who's oh, yeah. who's playing as well as any quarterback in the country. Now he probably won't win it just because it's a popularity contest nowadays with a bunch of AP voters that really don't know shit or watch football. So um, that's just the reality. The same reason why did Dwayne Haskins finish third and he wasn't even involved in the conversations. Yeah when he had better numbers than everyone there. It's like, okay, it's 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 complete nonsense. The Heisman's complete bullshit. But I do think that Justin Fields uh, will will make a case that he yeah. should win it. And that, and if they do a good job, if Ohio State and Jerry Emick do a good job of, of projecting what numbers would have been on a regular season compared to past Heisman winners and things like that, if they do a good job marketing him, he should win it. Now, I'm, I'm apprehensive that they're going to do that because they've never done a great job of, of putting together a, a campaign for a Heisman Trophy candidate, not really since Troy Smith, yeah. um, and that was a different era. That was it yeah. was a different era of football. But I, oh, so I think yeah. Mac Jones right now he would have to royally screw this up because he's playing so well that it's going to be hard to top his numbers, right? And yeah. it's most time about numbers. Trevor Lawrence had to sit the biggest game of the year out because of COVID. That's going to kill his chances. Yeah, so it's going to be. It's in my opinion, it's a two person race right now, and it's Mac Jones to lose. Yeah. unfortunately, because of the Big Ten scheduling, because of the COVID stuff, and honestly, because I don't think Ohio State's very good at putting together these campaigns and pushing for their guys to win these awards. No, they don't. They don't do a good job with that. Of all the marketing, that's always what I was wondering when you were in the program. Why is it that the program doesn't really push players, um, their players for that? Because I remember those Zeke suffered from that most recently. Yeah, Haskins suffered from it. Is there is there like a culture within the program that we're not going to put any individual accomplishment over a team? Is that what no, it is? I, absolutely not. I mean, they were ever everyone wanted that, and it, I used to get kind of I don't want to say mad, but it was like, why am I able to sit here and put together these campaigns for recruits to show them that Michael Thomas is the best receiver in the country and show them all the reasoning based on analytics and stats and the fact that our team's loaded? That's why he doesn't have fifteen hundred yards receiving. Like I was able to do that to recruits and it blew my mind that we had all the money in the world, but couldn't do the same thing for public perception. It would have helped my job and it would have helped kids get an all American tree or, or win the Belitnikoff or whatever. And it just doesn't happen. And I think Ohio state's a little old school. They got a lot of old hat around. 
that maybe don't do things the way that we do it in recruiting. You look at the recruiting department, it's a bunch of like 25, 28 year olds, like brilliant, innovative, young, like they put together these videos and campaigns and it like it captivates the country when they put them out. But the question is, why aren't we doing the same thing about Justin Fields for Heisman? Yeah. It doesn't make sense with all the money they have. They should be pushing. I mean, right now they should be talking about it. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. in a season like this where yeah. you're behind the eight ball. It's important to, to promote your guys. Especially you know? when, when you got a guy to your point V more touchdowns than incomplete passes. Yeah. I mean, right. one of those was a drop touchdown in that first game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's right. insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. the level that he's playing out right now is just, yeah. It's just unbelievable and unmatched. Now transitioning from greatness to being terrible. Um, <laughs> let's 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 talk about the old guard of the Big Ten right now, specifically Penn State and Michigan. Um, we'll get to we'll get to greatness again, but for now, let's focus on 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 the losers. What's going on here? Zero and four and one and three. I don't I don't think I've ever ever seen these two programs at this level of, of mediocrity in the Big Ten? No, no one has. I mean, Michigan just had their worst home loss since, I think, 1935, the year that the year after Francis Schmidt famously talked about putting your pants on one at a time. The reason we have gold pants in 1935, they beat Michigan 38 nothing, And we they just experienced their, I guess, worst loss since 1935 on oh, Saturday. Wow. And uh, when I look at it, when I watch the film, study the analytics, it's, it's definitely two different stories. Michigan's story is they their defense is, is completely, I'll say, underperforming, depleted, whatever you want to say. They, the throw game is atrocious. Their secondary is atrocious, they, and they can't run the football. I think this Joe Milton was a, is a decent player right now. They obviously benched him, and now they have like an open tryout for quarterbacks. <laughs> but it's it's really a story of Jim Harbaugh and his ineptitude to turn that program into something relevant. I mean, he was supposed to be the quarterback whisperer all because he had a guy named Andrew Luck at Stanford. It's like, I don't know how that makes you a quarterback whisperer, but that's what he was supposed to be. And he's yet to develop any quarterbacks to be even above mediocre. Yeah. So I think that's the story in Michigan. Uh, they have a talented quarterback who's just not getting coached and developed. They can't run the ball and they can't stop. Their pass defense is just atrocious. Yeah. And then you look don't. at I don't understand their offensive play calling either. Yeah. I, well, that's the other thing is they hired Josh Gaddis, who's never called a play in his career. And it's 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 confusing when that happens, right? Because they hired him because he was the co-OC at Alabama. But anyone that has any knowledge in the coaching world knew Mike Loxley was the coordinator calling the plays and designing the offense. Like that's so I don't know why you would hire a guy that's never called a play and think that he's and you know. That could work out, but it's a risk. They took a risk, and it looks like it wasn't a very uh, well-calculated risk. So, well, Do you think, Zach, that there could be some trouble bringing in the kind of top talent that they need? Do you think people don't want the jobs? I mean, uh, I I don't know that they've tried to bring in a big-time coordinator. I mean, they, they, they got Don Brown, and everyone wants to fire Don Brown right now, but Don Brown was one of the top three yeah. defensive coordinators in the country when he was at Boston College, and, I mean, he had – first rounders everywhere, top two defense in the country. So they, they brought him in and he was a huge name. Anyone would have hired him. So I, and not to and mention defense has been pretty good except until this year, Let's until say. this year. Right. And it's like anything else. Money talks. Mm -hmm. If they want to, if they pony up a million a year for an offensive coordinator, they could get anybody almost. Yeah. I mean, it, it's yeah. excuse making at its finest. And that's what we've seen out of Michigan. And I know Michigan fans will probably come at my neck again for that, but it is what it is. I mean, it, we make excuses in Michigan country. 
I guess. And, and talent evaluation is a big thing, right? It seems like Jim Harbaugh doesn't know with the quarterbacks and on the offensive side of the ball, he's not making good choices as the CEO of the company, it seems like. And, yeah. and that's going to leave, leave you hanging. You know? Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and then I think you switch over to Penn State, it's a whole different story. I mean, they they just had a guy, Trace McSorley, who was just a phenomenal college football yeah. player, and they they switch over, and this year it's been subpar quarterback play, and that's being kind. I mean, yeah. it's 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 been – Sean Clifford has struggled majorly, and they finally benched him in the game Saturday. They just don't have a quarterback. They lost their starting running back, who was a great player and, and kind of a heartbeat of the team. And so the offense has struggled. Basically, they have Jahan Dotson, who you were talking about, Partha, earlier, who's been a, a huge surprise as an outside receiver and has been playing really well. They have Pat Fryermuth, the tight end, who's an NFL football player. And outside of that, they're, they're just a little bit depleted, and their offense is entirely different without their star running back. And so poor quarterback play, your your heart heart and soul of your offense is out. Really, he's, can't, he's never going to play football again. Yeah, and it's just – they lost a ton. They lost a ton. And um, it's just it, very different stories. I think James Franklin does a hell of a job, and he's a, a really good football coach. But um, just they they got hit really hard this this offseason, and, and they didn't have a guy to come in. You know, they went Christian Hackenberg, Trace McSorley, and then they just didn't have that next guy. Yeah. Did you yeah. do you think his job is on the line? No, no way. I mean, not yet. Now, I I could see him jumping and taking the USC job if it comes open, or so I could see a change happening. But I don't think his job's on the line. I think people see this as 2020, COVID, crazy, lost Journey Brown, like lost. You know, so much happened that it's kind of like, all right, push, push, pause, push, reset. Let's go to 2021 and see how things go because he's done a phenomenal job there. You know. Yeah. Now let's let, let's get to the story everyone wants to talk about. Uh, your analysis of this Ohio State Indiana game. First off, what? Why is Indiana specifically so good? What do they do well? What are kind of some of the weaknesses or that you've seen in watching the film? Um, and what what should we expect from them? coming up this weekend? Well, they don't have a lot of star power, which um, Ohio State's kind of first three games would tell you is not that's not going to be a make or break for them to win the game or keep it close because Ohio State has their own, I guess, skeletons in their closet to, to address and handle. But uh, Mike, Michael Pinnock Jr. Has, has played really well. I don't think he's playing, you know, on that national level like we talked about earlier, but he's playing really well. And what I love about Indiana is they're so well coached. They do things fundamentally so sound. Mm -hmm. They, they tackle well. They do everything well that you need to do that is a non-talent issue. And they maximize the ability of their players. I think they poise a pretty significant threat to Ohio State in the throw game because Ohio State struggled and in the pass rush. I mean, they're, they're one of the worst pass-protecting uh, teams in the Big Ten. And now Ohio State's also one of the worst pass rushers in the Big Ten right now. Yeah. So that's that's weakness on weakness. It'll be interesting to see how that matches up, right? And then on the other side of the ball, they're really well coached on defense, but there's no way they should even come close to slowing down the, the throwing attack with Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, really all of them. And, and so it's going to be about can Ohio State run the ball or do they need to? They haven't needed mm -hmm. to yet. But at some point, they're, they're going to need to. And uh, Indiana's probably the best defense, run run defense, they're going to play this year. So, you know, prior to a Big Ten championship, you know, prior to postseason play. So it, it poises a heck of a problem for Ohio State and an opportunity, an opportunity to show that, you know what, we took two weeks, we had a COVID buy, unannounced or unexpected, and we worked on those things, and now we got a lot better at them. Yeah. 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 
you see, do you see it being a, a close competitive game or do you think as long as it's, Ohio State does what they're supposed to do, it'll be. Yeah, it's so hard to call because it definitely could be. If I mean, if the, the if what we've seen through three games on defense in the past game is what it is, and it's not just some things issues that needed fixed, it's going to be a close game, and I'm nervous about it. Now, if they get it shored up, Sean Wade plays like Sean Wade's capable. They get that secondary to play well, and they can get after Penix a little, you know, just a little bit. Then I think Ohio State can kind of have have their way with with Indiana. But those things aren't guarantees, right? That's a lot of times you see these stars and players and you know their names and it's like, oh, well, they're going to get right. It's like, well, I've seen it before where they don't. A lot of guys that were five stars or four stars. So if they get it fixed, I think this could be a 20-point win easy. But if they don't, it's going to be a dogfight. Yep, yep. Man, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to watching it this weekend. It's going to be Heck yeah. Whew, it's it's going to be a good, good game. Yeah. And uh, it seems like every week we've got to, We've got to bring up one of your your old recruits and receivers uh, shining in the NFL, Zach. I know you're proud of these kids because you recruited them, you coached them, you know them. I got a chance to get to know Austin a little bit as well while he was at Ohio State. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal human being, first and oh, foremost. Yeah. On and off the football field, someone who's very bright, very intentional, hardworking. And I think we both, and we we talked about this, that Teams were going to get a steal with both him and Jordan Fuller in the sixth round based on the both the quality of the talent and the quality of kid that yeah. they were getting. And the Giants are raving now about Austin Mack. He had a big game last last week. Um what's is it is it surprising to you that he's he's playing this well this early or or is this what you expected? <laughs> Um, so there's really two parts to that answer because um, I'm not surprised that he he is doing that because he's more than capable. What I am surprised with is the way that the political landscape of the NFL works, that he's having this opportunity right now. And that's just, I mean, that's just from years of experience of watching kids go to the NFL and just having their careers snuffed out because they were a, a free agent like Austin yeah. was. So I'm not surprised at all. He's one of those kids that's humble and he's going to just take each each bite that he gets, Right. You know, when they, when they activated him, he was all fired up texting me. Then they deactivated him. That first game he was supposed to be active for, they deactivated him in pregame. And and so he's he has these setbacks, but he just he knows what to do. He's grown ass man that just grinds. He's he, he's gonna be humble and just keep working and take every opportunity they give him and and make the most of it. And so it's really awesome to watch because there's no no one more deserving. But I am kind of surprised that he was he has broken the the trend or the the what usually happens with a free agent. And I think being in, in New York was a calculated decision that him and his agent made, and it's paying off because yeah. they need, they don't have anyone. And so he's have, getting those opportunities, and now he's on tape. That's what I texted him about this last game. I said, now you're on tape. That's all that matters. You're on tape. Even if the Giants screw it up and cut you, other people see that tape, and mm-hmm. now you have another opportunity somewhere. Or the Giants realize they got a steal, and they're going to maximize his opportunities. I mean, the I I don't think there are any organizations better than the Giants and the Steelers at finding receiving talent and yeah. developing them and making them them good. So I really like the fact that he landed there, um, and, I, and I'm I'm just praying that continues to see success and reap the rewards of his hard work. 
No doubt. And I just go back to when he was a free agent, just the 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 insight you talk about and you know him, V. He he just he's different than most kids coming out. Like he made a decision when he didn't get drafted to go to New York because of the market, because of the opportunities that he would have there. Vayner Sports is there. Gary V is there, who's his representation. And now he he made a decision to go to New York, the New York Giants, not because the New York Giants maybe paid him the most or whatever. He went there very calculated to say, listen. This shit may not work out for me, but I'm going to set myself up to make some legit connections in case it doesn't. So I'm going to New York. I'm going to the Big Apple. Done. And yeah. I was like, holy shit. Yep. You, you got it figured out, buddy. <laughs> Just the way that he thinks is, you know, oh, he's going to be successful. No doubt. In football or anything else, he's going to be a successful young man. And that's, that's, I just want to give a special shout out to these Michigan alums who talk about our kids. Um, look at Austin Mack and look at the examples that we have in the NFL. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> I love that, man. It, you know, it takes me back to when we had our interview with James ahead of boats. When you learn the game around the game, you can be really, really successful in sports. But you have to understand it's not about entirely about what you do on the field. That's the bare minimum. And everything else around it is what you have to learn how to play. Yeah, without and a doubt. Austin seems to have a really good handle on that. And yeah, I don't know him personally like you guys, but I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I sounds like an amazing guy. Yeah, it's evident. Everything he does. I mean, you can see it on social media. You can see it in interviews. You can see it just in his mannerisms on the sideline in a game. Like it's just he's got it figured out and and he's not going to let the game use him. He's going to use the game to to better his life. And, and that's yeah. the only thing you should do. 100%. And I will yeah, and I will say, you know, athletes who work with Vayner Sports, there's like a special. So we're really close with them, with Lasso, and um, they are very thoughtful in terms of how they see athletes, in terms of their value from a marketing standpoint. So anybody yeah. I see signed there, it's just an automatic indicator that they understand the business side of things. Yeah, you for know? sure. So it's a good agency. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Zach, before before we have you leave, are there any other matchups this weekend that that stand out to you? Um, I'm, I mean, the game of the week is Ohio State Indiana. That's the one that I'm I'm most excited to to watch. Um, there's a couple games that'll be okay. I haven't really dove into the analytics of those yet. Um, I will probably tomorrow, but but this is the game of the week. This is this is the two best teams in the Big Ten going against each other on the same side of the conference. This is, I mean, everything. Ohio State wants travels through this game, and if Indiana wants to shock the world, this is this is their opportunity. Well, it's it's let's hope let's hope that we can hold on and uh, and, and not get upset. I don't think we will. I don't I don't see us getting upset in a game like this with Ryan Day. I just don't. It's weird. Yeah, I don't either. I have that feeling. I just don't see it happening. But we got to take the game seriously, and hopefully, we come out with a win. Zach, as always always giving us great insight that you're not getting anywhere else. Um, and, and we look forward to talking to you next week after a, another big Buckeye win. Absolutely, man. Look forward to it. Definitely. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, thanks, fellas. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, guys, this is Partha. You might know me as a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. Lasso is a high-performance lifestyle brand that makes a Lasso Sock 2.0 the most functional sock ever to help you stay moving on any adventure you choose. Lasso uses patented compression technology with scientifically proven ankle stability to support key ligaments and tendons as well as moisture wicking materials and built-in strike padding. So every single step is stable, soft, and cool. 
Lasso socks are also used to treat foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, Achilles pain, ankle soreness, circulation issues, and more. Check them out at lassogear.com or at lassogear on social media. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Our next guest is a man who needs no introduction and been a mentor to many, uh, including myself. Um, an example for, for entrepreneurship and building business. We're really, really excited to welcome the one, the only Jay Prince. Oh, yeah. How y'all doing, bro? Doing great. Doing great. Good, man. Every time, every time I see you, I feel like you've got a new venture going. It's like, <laughs> are you ever going to relax and retire? Because it's like you, your mind doesn't stop working. So we're going to start by just getting into this thing. Like when we talked about doing this interview, we we're like, we're not going to ask him the same questions that he gets asked in every interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be a little bit different here. So All first good. thing, we're going to get right into loyalty wine. Beautiful. What a what a beautiful startup. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. So, you know, one of the more interesting things when I heard about this venture was I know you, you're not a drinker, right? And you know, <laughs> right. And, but I know a few years ago you, you discovered red wine. Yeah. So first, tell us t- everything you do is intentional, right? You don't affiliate with a brand that you don't actually believe in. Tell right. us. Tell us the synthesis of how this came together um, from from first you falling in love with red wine to actually deciding to make a business of it. Yeah. Well, years ago, I was watching uh, TV and I was observing this doctor by the name of Dr. Red Duke. He's a surgeon out of Houston, and he was speaking about uh, all the benefits where red wine is concerned, the health benefits. And and I was moved by that because I had no idea that no type of drink had health benefits. And, you know, after listening to him where, you know, red wine is good for the heart and the blood flow thins the blood and all these different type of things, the grapes, you know, we definitely are aware of grapes uh, being good for you. So I listened to all of this and eventually I took trips to Napa Valley and I visit vineyards. I even negotiated on purchasing a few vineyards. So I had opportunity to look behind the scene on the business side of the wine venture. And uh, those combination of things after I decide, you know, in my winding down time, sipping a little red wine, you know, I just became a, uh, a, a fan of drinking a little red wine every now and then. And from a business perspective, uh, you know, I'm always looking forward to diversifying my portfolio. And yes. that brought me to uh, coming up with a great name for the product. And loyalty, you know, was the perfect name for me because it complements my lifestyle, who I became, who I am. And you know, I think it will complement, you know, everybody and and uh, they're celebrating in, in different moments of appreciation, whether it's Super Bowl, whether it's marriages, whatever it may be. You can't celebrate anything without some loyalty yes. being involved. Yeah, exactly. And, you so, know, the packaging, the packaging is incredible. We got a 
Julia sent us over the, the marketing package. The packaging is incredible. Appreciate it's, it. It's, it's great. So I, as I was doing my research on you, man, I was, you know, really inspired by how much you value loyalty, as, as you mentioned with the wines. And I also was struck in a past interview you had given about how, you know, in raising your kids, you, um, you really expect a lot from them in terms of how much they need to do as an, as an individual, as an adult, to really be able to carry on your legacy, continue building on your empire. So um, you had even said in that interview that if somebody wasn't up to par, somebody from outside of your own you know, blood family were to come in yeah. that could actually grow the empire, you would immediately welcome them with open arms. And right. that philosophy for you has led to loyalty that far reaches your bloodline, which is, you know, really interesting paradigm because many people would almost look at things backward, but I would consider that more from an abundance mindset in the way right. that you give loyalty. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you think about that with people, how you build that kind of connection where, you know, you, you know that that person has your back and you have theirs. Like what, what's the prerequisite for that? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, trust is something that has to be earned. You know what I mean? It's something that I don't give a person. You know, if you want my trust, you, you're you going to have to earn that. And if you're not willing to earn it, you don't want it. And it, and it the same, you know, vice versa. I don't want nobody, you know, I don't tell a person, oh, you can trust me. If I had opportunity, I'm going to earn my trust. And if you know how to, like, receive that properly and know the essence of what that really means, then you know, it's, it's, it's not a problem with uh, building a foundation where that's concerned. You know what I mean? The whole trust yeah. area. So uh, you, you spoke of something earlier where my kids are concerned that I like to address also. Uh, it's real important to me, you know, building what I have built for the legacy to, to continue. And like when you're dealing with business, you understand just from dealing with business, it, it don't have to be personal. You know, as I've stated so many times, I work with so many people I didn't personally like, but business is business. Yeah. And, you know, where my business is concerned and in order for the legacy to continue, it's about who is better equipped because if you just want to go with bloodline, for example, here's a good analogy. I could have stuck with my brother. I named my company Rapalot. His name was yes. Sir Rapalot. Mm -hmm. I could have stuck with him and stayed loyal to my brother and never had a Rapalot to come to fruition. But yeah. I understood business. I understood that it wasn't personal. I understood that I was trying to break the poverty curse where my family was concerned. I understood the big picture. And I was trying to get to the big picture. And I wasn't going to allow bloodline or nothing personal to stop that from changing the lives of so many. Yeah, and also to extend on your kids, right? Like, and Partha and I have talked about it. It's 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 an interesting challenge when you're the son of someone who's been successful, right? Our parents came over with nothing in their pockets from another country and got it out the mud just like you did. Yeah. So it's natural for us to not have the exact same mindset as you guys do and that's not what you want. Part of the reason that you all worked as hard as you did is for us to struggle less than you did. Yeah. But you still also want us to be grounded, be humble, and chase our dreams 
with the same aggression that that you chase them with. Yeah. How do you how do you balance that? Because you know, even speaking with Andre, you've had these conversations about the challenge of living in the shadow of giants. Yeah. Um, and how do you address that with your kids? Well, I I started addressing it at a young age. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The expectations of uh, that I had for them, and most of all, uh, the respect that I had for them of who they wanted to become and who they wanted to be, and the support system that I put around them to complement whoever they wanted to become. So, of yeah. course, you know, I had expectations. You know, I don't want you to be a bomb or nothing like that, but by the same token, I respect who you want to be, you know, yeah. because I understand that happiness is not based on riches. You yes. know what I mean? So if you always gave them this analogy, I would be happy. If you're happy being a, a dump truck driver, mm. you know what I mean? And, and love those as closest to you and respect those as closest to you and it's mutual, then I'm going to love you for whoever you want to be. Yeah. That's what brings you happiness. So, you know, I set the, uh, the, the the tone in my household, you know, on, 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 on that level, you know, at least letting them know that I'm going to love you unconditionally, even if it ain't about the money. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It ain't about the uh, six figures, five, four. No, you mine. So I'm going to love you unconditionally with whoever you choose to be in life. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that you separated the personal side of, you know, loyalty, trust and all of that from the business side of it, because I think that's a differentiation that not a lot of people make. They carry over their personal feelings into business and that's where things get really messy. Yeah. Um, something you, you touched on was you mentioned the poverty curse. And, you know, this is something I'm always really interested in, but I feel that there's a lot of thought patterns that can trap us into different conditions here in America. And you having been through so many different, you know, strata, you've experienced a whole lot of different ways people think. Anywhere from, you know, the most scarce of scarce to the most abundant of abundant. How were you able to retain your headspace and your core values along the way where the outside world wouldn't disrupt the way you saw yourself and saw your potential? I think um, through, through wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You know, my spiritual foundation was major in me uh, being able to, like, build anything on it and retaining anything on it. You know, I had a I, and I was I'm, I was glad, you know, I just done an interview where I was stating I was so happy. My mother sent me on that bus to get that yeah. spiritual foundation, even, even though she didn't go with me, just sending me on that bus. Uh, I think was the uh, the ultimate determinator of life and death for me, because it was I remember like all of the uh, the incidents and all of the decision making, decision making and the choices I made based on my spiritual foundation. So that was, you know, <laughs> that was priceless. Yeah. You know, so if I had to give credit where anything was concerned, uh. You know, it would be my spiritual foundation with the creator. I always use that as a balancing factor with everything. That's that's a great that's a great perspective. You know, and, and one other thing I wanted to ask about this was, you know, in terms of 
who you are, right? You are a leader. You are a boss. And a lot of people depend on you. Anytime, one thing that's, that's very different about you is, you know, anytime I've ever asked for your time, and I know I'm not the only one, you granted it to me. Um, and a lot of people who get in your position aren't able to do that anymore and don't make that a priority. And I know there are a lot of people who depend on you, probably to even greater, obviously to a greater degree than, than I do. Does it ever get frustrating or overwhelming to have this many people kind of um, dependent and leaning on you for advice and to help them reach their goals? No, no. You know, that's something that, uh, like, like I believe too much given much is required. And, and one of my gifts and one of my passions is giving. So, so it's something I enjoy doing. You know what I mean? It's not, and it's something that I control as well. You know what I mean? So other words, I don't open the door for the world to just, you know, harass me, but those that I connect with, such as yourself, those that I choose, you know, to have those conversations with and apply my time is because I enjoy it and it's because, you know, I feel like it's not in vain. Like, I don't like talking to a fool. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like, that's a waste of time, right? Yeah. And and it's easy for me to like discern my intuition, like taps into foolishness kind of fast. You know what I mean? So long as I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm being a blessing. You definitely are. Love that, man. So we talked about your spiritual foundation and how that guided you through a lot of the trials and tribulations you went through. Do you believe that a spiritual foundation is the first thing somebody should focus on if they're really set on getting out of their circumstance and creating a better life for themselves? Um, I think, uh, man, you know, like being a parent and being uh, a recipient of uh what it done for me, uh, I think you can, I think that's something that should be a lifestyle, raising a kid. You know what I mean? That should be, you know, like we brush our teeth every day. That, that should be a lifestyle to the extent where you are pouring something, uh, a substance in that kid weekly, daily, or however you choose to do it. And you can do that along with education, along with other things other nourishment as well but uh that one was uh was real deep for me yeah 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 that, that saved my life that's yeah. so cool <laughs> yeah. yeah and let's talk about big dreams right and and how you even decided like in this music space you are known as the first person as far as i know and as far as the industry is concerned to say you know what I'm not going to be trapped by being owned by someone else. I'm going to start my own thing. And I'm yeah. going to control my own destiny and not let anyone else dictate it. And at that time, you didn't have an example. Now we have examples like yourself, like Master P, like Cash Money. And even in the entrepreneurial space outside of the music industry, we have examples. But you didn't have an example to lean on. So tell us exactly how you even decided I'm going to do it on my own and then went about learning how to do it. Um, you know, some of these things I can't explain, you know, yeah. other than 
other than uh, like when I was seven and eight years old, it was almost like it was a spirit on me to believe a certain way. And, and like I was so advanced and so ahead of the rest of my age bracket. And, and I don't know how to really explain that other than saying it was a spirit on me because it wasn't something that I watched. It wasn't something that I, you know, observed and, and got it from nowhere. It was yeah. just like in me, almost like in my DNA, you yeah. know, from places I can't explain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was there and and it was it was alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and I felt it and I, I started to believe it. I start to exercise, you know, that that I was feeling, that that I believe. And, you know, as abnormal as it seemed back in the independent space when, uh, you know, the record labels were selling me 98% of the, the labels that try to do what I was doing fail, you know, yeah. trying to discourage me, you know. And they was actually right about the percentage. But yeah. I would sit and listen to these people and I would, at the end of the conversation, I would say, you say 98%, right? They say, yeah. I said, well, I'm going to be in that 2% that, <laughs> you know what I mean, that was yeah. successful. So that was me. You know, that was me always feeling like I can make the impossible possible. You know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it all started in my mind before it came to fruition. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the best way I can explain it. Because I didn't, you know, as you know, the East Coast, all of them was doing production deals. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I was offered that, but I was like, that ain't good enough for me. Yeah. I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna follow the leaders yeah. that's that's you know accepting production deals. So yeah. I laid a different blueprint, you know what yeah. I mean, which inspired the whole South, which brought a whole new mentality for the upcoming entrepreneurs in the game. And uh, that's something that I'm I'm proud of doing. Hundred percent. Yeah. Two 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 follow up questions to that real quickly. Is we know that you went through a long process of struggle before you became successful, but I think it's important for entrepreneurs and any individual who goes through that struggle to also understand what the reward of being independent and making a hundred percent of the revenue yourself. And not having to give it away because the music industry is an industry of exploitation. But take us into that at that time in the late 80s, early 90s, when CDs were selling. What that reward felt like when you were seeing the weekly or bi-weekly checks coming in to you, not to anyone else, and then yeah. being distributed to you, but coming directly to you. Yeah. What a beautiful reward. And uh, what uh, uh, I tell you what was what I really used to love was to watch the distributors and watch the major record labels who had slammed doors in my face, how they began to chase me. You know what I mean? How they began to, you know, want to do business. I went to all of them, you know, Mm -hmm. extending, asking for opportunity. And everything turned, you know, 360. But, you know, that uh, that was a situation, man, a rewarding situation, not only monetarily, but mm-hmm. all the non-believers. Nobody yeah. thought it could be done. You know, everybody thought it was foolish to even be taking those risks and believing that I could go in a, on a platform 
you know what I mean, of something that had never happened and sell a half a million records, 250, you know what I mean, getting 85% of the money and only the master. Oh, you know, (laughs) I still love the way that feels, you know what I mean? I still got some of that money. I need I need to see one of those uh, mind playing tricks on me. Check. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that money. You know is still coming in. You know. So yeah, um, yeah no, it, it was it was a blessing, man. It was a yeah. blessing. So when you, it's so interesting to hear you talk about you know this um, special feeling inside because it reminds me of there's uh, a concept in Hinduism of Dharma, which is like a higher purpose, and they say basically that if you do everything for a higher purpose you are free of like the good and bad in life. Everything stops being so polarizing and it just becomes, you know, a sequence of events. I think that one of the struggles that a lot of people have when, when they're trying to build something or really just stepping on their own to fight for success is that they get really discouraged by a lot of the negative things that come in their way and they put themselves in a headspace that, um, you know, they're not going to be able to get past it. And, you know, one thing I've admired really about just hearing your perspective is that you seem unbelievably grateful and humble as a result of, of your spirituality. And, you know, I think for anybody listening to this, I think it's exciting whenever I meet somebody tremendously successful who also does not act in that way. You know what I mean? And that's like a character trait that is exciting to see because it shows everybody that success is really tied with being a good person. So kind of to segue into that, question that I have for you. Um, I had seen in an interview that you spoke about how you had built your business and then there was kind of a pivot point in your life where you started really focusing on yourself and self-development uh, once you had built your company to a certain stage. So what what kind of things do you do to get yourself better, to improve yourself? Well, one of the things I do is receive wisdom such as what you just gave me. And even though it, it come from a different place, I think you mentioned Hinduism. I receive wisdom from, I don't allow uh, religion or the boxes that man have came up with to clog my ears from receiving wisdom wherever it comes from. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm a seeker of that. But uh, what was the what was the question now? The question was, there's a point in your life where you started to tremendously focus on your own self-development, at least according oh, okay. to one of the interviews okay. that I saw. No, I got you. I got yeah. you. Like, I'm in a place now where, uh, you know, having a talent is one thing. And, of course, I use my talent to, uh, it has benefited me in, like, great places. But to have a purpose and to live out your purpose is a whole different level of, of the game. And I'm at a, a, a state of mind right now where I want to live out my purpose. And, and one of my main pieces of living out my purpose is inspiring and uplifting and creating opportunities for others other than myself. You know what I mean? I get a high. That's, that's my purpose. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's where I'm at right now. You've definitely been doing a good job of it. Um, <laughs> and as far as, as far as another thing that I want to discuss is your perspective on, on life and how you carry out your life. Right. I think 
you know, there are a lot of people, you know, fairly, and probably un mostly unfairly, but mostly fairly, if they if they get a side of you, right? You have a reputation in business sometimes of, of being a bully. I've never seen it. I've never, I've never experienced it because I don't think that you, you have a statement that you say you give people what they want, right? And I think it's important in business, people who sense weakness will take advantage of you. That's in the streets. That's in the corporate world. Tell us about that philosophy. I, every time I've been around you, I've felt nothing but love. The people that know you yeah. and that you respect, respect and love you. Right. Tell me about that, that other side, why that has to come out at times. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm not a bully. I don't like bullies. Don't, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't. Uh, you have to understand it's something about. Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, and it's for others. I know you know this, but yeah. for, for those that don't know no better, like, being a bully is a weakness to mm -hmm. me as a man. You know what I mean? And I don't, I never want to impose my power in a, in a wrong way on the yeah. weak or take advantage. Matter of fact, that goes against my whole belief system. Yes. I don't, I don't, I feel like something like that would cut my blessings off. Yeah. So it, it goes against my whole everything, right? Yeah. But but now I do believe, and I am a stand-up type of individual. Yes. You know what I mean? I'm not a person that will allow people to run over me or my family and my friends. Matter of fact, most of my fights, 90-some percent of them, is not because of somebody tried me. It's because of others. Yes. You know what I mean? I stand up. If I'm with you, I'm with you. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just that type of situation. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm, you got to be on the right side of the track. I'm not a, not a fool. So I don't just stand yeah. up on wrong, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's important to, uh, to, I guess, kind of try to straighten that out as much as we can, because, you know, I hear things and, yeah. you know, it's a lot of lies float around in the air, but those that really, know me understand that uh i just uh i stand on what i believe is right yeah 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 so um as you're kind of going through you know the processing you said you talked about you want to make sure you're in the right first i think that's something a lot of people struggle with it's something i struggle with when somebody says something that upsets me i feel the feelings flare up and it takes me a second to chill out before i make a decision how yeah. do you like how do you take care of yourself in such a way that you're balanced in your reactions. Yeah. Uh, well, I learned that from uh, mind over matter. You know what I mean? As a kid, I had to figure out how to defeat muscle. You know what I mean? Uh, guys that was bigger, you know, used to impose their will on me with, with their muscles. So I had to figure out how to balance the scale with that. And from learning how to balance the scale with that, it, it caused me to rely on the biggest muscle in my body, which was my brain. So I'm always like thinking on how I win this situation versus a reaction. You know right. what I mean? So that's, that's how I learned that, you know, yeah. the patience with it, because, you know, I know I couldn't run up and deal with uh, this muscle bound dude at this particular time, but I understood that if I use my mind and opportunity to present itself, I'm going to win the fight. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm a skinny guy, too, so I always had to use mind over matter as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and this, this another business venture that we haven't touched on yet, and this is what's so amazing is because I understand these industries, right? You, you, first of all, did it in the music industry when there's a 98% failure rate. And then you entered into a world of boxing, right? So I've got a two-part question, kind of one is, and then your first fighter is Floyd Mayweather, right? Or one of your first fighters is Floyd Mayweather. In, in an industry that we know is very challenging to even break into, how did you enter in to the second venture in the same similar fashion as you did in your, your first venture? Well, I ended it with prayer. I remember this as plain as day. God blessed me with a with a, a champion. Yeah. But here the trickery was I had my mind and my sight on Mike Tyson. Yeah. Mike Tyson wasn't a champion at the time. Yeah. So I didn't flew all the way to Vegas. He embraced the meeting and some kind of way, Floyd Mayweather show up in the gym, and I don't even know who he is. I'm overlooking him. And yeah. he keep coming to me on a few different occasions, Jay, yo, Jay, yo, Jay. And then he gave me his number, but my focus on Tyson. Yeah. But, but yeah. to make a long story short, think about it. Now, I prayed for a champion. A champion yeah. was there. Yeah. Now, I thought I had Mike Tyson. We That night, we agreed. Next day, I couldn't reach him. Had that yeah. phone number. I said, who is this guy? 130 pounds. World champion. So a red light go off. I'm like, whoa, because I believe in prayer, right? Yeah. I'm like, whoa, I prayed for a champion. Do you know me and him closed the deal up in less than a week? Didn't cost me nothing. Wow. <laughs> nothing but prayer, man. That's cool. So That's I can't, cool. you know, when people tell me uh, 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 don't believe in prayer, I just be like, okay, I have to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we know you your your time is short. She said to keep it to thirty. So we'll, we're going to ask you a, a few quick fun questions before we get you out of here. Um, the first one being on the boxing tip: Who are your top five? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Top five. Top five. Yep. Oh man, Ali, Andre Ward, Floyd. Uh, he in my top. Uh, Shakur Stevenson right now. Oh, he's a beast. I can't <laughs> wait till he's preaching. He's seen me calling all my guys out. Yep. Hey, they're all uh, champs. <laughs> man, Sugar Ray Robinson. I love Sugar Ray Robinson. Man. Yeah, he is yeah. the blueprint. Like, you're yeah. the blueprint in the hip-hop yeah. space. I think he's the blueprint in boxing. Yeah, for sure. The, the, the second question, um, Partha, go ahead. Yeah. You've been itching to ask you this one. What are your top five books that you would recommend? Oh, man. The Art and Science of Respect. Go get that, by the way. Think and Grow Rich. Love that one. Uh, oh, man. Oh, boy. Let me think of these books. Man, I've been reading so many of them. The, uh, the, uh, I think it's called the, uh, the Master Key System. Okay. Uh, man, uh, 
Oh, I wish I could click over in my in my thing. I'm trying to think. Okay, the master key system. Uh, oh, what's the name of this book? Uh, oh boy, man, I'm having a block, man. I got it's all, all good, these books. Man. I have them wrote down, man. I you stay reading, down. and that's 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 why we asked you the question. Yeah. All right, let's let's keep going. I think of them later. Okay. I have to send that to you. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. And the last one, I know a lot of people ask you your top five rappers, but I know your musical tastes extend beyond that. Um, yeah. What are your top, who are your top five just general musicians of all time and artists? Michael Jackson. Nice. Mm -hmm. Prince. Yeah. Uh, let me put a little rap in there. Tupac. Nice. That's three. Uh, let me put some more rap in there. I have to go with Biggie. Okay. Yeah, I have to put Biggie in there. And then I, I can't leave Scarface out. I have to put Face in there. You have That's to. Good. Yeah. He's a living legend, man. And mm -hmm. We hope he gets better. We hope he gets better soon. Uh, but look, Jay, this has been great. Value I appreciate it, bro. Yeah. Um, and I just want to end on this note. Like, for people like us who dream big, it's you don't understand the value of having real life examples who are willing to spend their time and yeah. give their time because it inspires us and teaches us so much. Yeah. So I want to thank you for that. And the, oh, last yeah, thing I'm gonna, the last thing I'm going to say to you is I know you got your ears to the streets and music. Yeah. I, I had you meet a young artist a while back. I want you to keep your ears to the street because okay. I'm telling you now she's, she's going to be the next the female Drake, and she's in your backyard. Oh keep, yeah! Keep your well, ears, keep your ears to the street. Hey man, do, let's do better than that. Bring it and let me hear it. I want to hear it when you come in town. Definitely, let's do okay. it. Okay. All right. All right. Thank All right. you, man. Love, Take man. care. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. Fan of our content. Help us continue creating by supporting us on the Pilot Boys Podcast Patreon. Donations start at just $1, and there are some cool perks for higher-level donations. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Time to hit some news and notes, Partha. Are you ready? I was born for this, bro. Let's get it. Let's get to it. More coronavirus news coming every Monday morning. <laughs> uh, right in time for the opening bell of the stock market. Um, <laughs> Moderna announces that their uh, their vaccine is in tests has shown 94 to 95% efficacy. And it seems like they've hit the nail on the head with this kind of RNA-based vaccine, right? It seems like all the ones that are doing well are are in that category. So what are your thoughts on on having a second second vaccine and and your thoughts on taking a vaccine i mean i think it's good you know i think the one interesting thing is i now am learning all the names of the pharma companies and uh, learning who runs them which you know i guess was knowledge i never really took the time to build um yeah man coronavirus is weird it's i think it's to we were talking about this off air but is it concerning that there was so much rush to get this thing to market? Yeah. Have the FDA guidelines changed that are required for it to actually get cleared? No. And mm -hmm. to your point, an RNA-based vaccine, um, I mean, this is a virus. These things work like code. 
RNA is like code. It makes sense that it could bind with the virus and, and get it to be less effective. So I'm not really too worried about it. It seems pretty run of the mill and straightforward as stuff that most of us learn in high school biology, you know, how viruses work and all of that. So it doesn't seem like there was any rocket science done here. I think it was just more of an iterative process to find the right way to structure the RNA compound and also to mass produce and manufacture mass produce it, which is the other part of the challenge. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I am not at all, and I know you're not an anti-vax believer. Uh, So setting that issue aside, I think there is some concern to do your research in terms of, okay, this is something that they brought to market quickly. There probably will be some side effects for some people that we haven't checked for and we're not not prepared for. But overall, I think considering this, the situation that we're in, um, having a reliable vaccine that, that prevents a lot of us um, from facing corona or at least mitigating the symptoms of corona, I think is something that we need to embrace. Yeah, 100%, man. And, you know, Corona is, is, I mean, it seems relatively dangerous. I'm not sure to what extent. So the only decision I think that an individual would make is, is catching this virus and the impact it would have on my life worth, you know, is that scarier than taking a vaccine with, I don't know what potential side effects that we'll find out in time. But um, I think that's an individual decision. But uh, coronavirus is more nuanced. I think in the case of like a smallpox vaccine, right? Obviously, yeah. that's a much more devastating disease. Yeah. So that's an obvious like, yes, like that's something I want to take. Even with flu shots, it's something that I've been more or less 50-50 on because I take really good care of my health. So I've never really felt the necessity because I rarely ever get sick because I do all the I do all the stuff. I eat healthy. I take supplements. So, you know, I use a lot of turmeric in my cooking. I have a lot of ginger. I sleep like eight or nine hours every night. So, you know, it, it's just, I think, such a personal decision. I can't fault anybody with an anti-vax philosophy because to me, it just means that they value things differently than I do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's it doesn't hurt that you live in a sunny, sunny California either. Oh, that too. I don't have to deal with winter the same <laughs> yeah. way I would if I was in Ohio or even when I was in Atlanta. So yeah, I mean, that that definitely makes me a little bit less concerned about this. And I think most people are going into a hard winter. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. Now, you sent an interesting story this morning uh, about more Corona news. Yeah. So it it was announced today in a study that mouthwash, when switched around, just like over-the-counter mouthwash, it has some, uh, it's a chemical compound, otherwise I would say the active ingredient, um, just run-of-the-mill mouthwash, more or less, when switched around in the mouth, kills coronavirus. So, first of all, great. I, I think proving that, I said this on my Instagram today, I think proving that mouthwash will kill coronavirus and this is lab samples that they ran it in. So basically, they I, I believe they had a coronavirus cell culture, some sort of culture with, with the infected cells. They poured mouthwash in there in some extent, and it killed mm-hmm. the virus. To me, that's the same as saying standing upstairs is going to prevent you from, you know, the effects of flooding. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously throwing something that's, you know, alcohol-based into your mouth. Is, it kills everything. That's the whole point of mouthwash is to kill that's bacteria. That's why they tell us to wash our hands and use hand sanitizer. Yeah, 
<laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't have any impact on if you already have the virus or if you're infected. It doesn't have yeah. an impact on you breathing out potentially particles from your lungs. But I also was told by a friend that at uh, at UMD, and I'm not sure, I think that's University of Maryland yeah. um, that he's referencing. He went into the dental school there and they were actually, as a precaution, having everybody um, swish mouthwash before they came into the building. And he said that's where they were doing a lot of the research on this. So, you know, again, this is my constant beef with science is that these are relatively obvious things that we have all these studies that point out and people read the headline. <laughs> yeah, lots of money. And a headline like this comes out and everybody's going to buy mouthwash and whoever makes mouthwash is going to make a killing off of this for no real like benefit other than the fact, which we already know that, you know, life cannot survive in, in an ethanol rich environment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it. Now, one thing I don't want people doing: um, don't drink bleach, and don't <laughs> don't don't drink mouthwash. Okay, gargle it and spit it out. It's not going to cure the illness in your insides if you start drinking mouthwash like it's a like it's a, a twelve ounce beer. <laughs> yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. And man, science is weird sometimes. I, I remember all the beef that um, Trump got over his comments on Fauci and like, you know, a lot of people feel one way or the other about Trump. But just in general, the the argument that I've heard a lot is you should listen to scientists. And I don't remember if we said this on the podcast last week, but I'm going to say it again. If we listen, we listen to scientists about airlines. But the problem is scientists know how the body works. They don't know how planes work. They don't know that the yeah. air gets cycled out within three minutes. So they're not qualified to make policy decisions. They're only qualified to tell you how things affect your body. And then politicians should make policy decisions, which is what they're trained to do is weigh the risks and the, and the you know, uh, benefits of any sort of decision on a population. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think we're in the position that we're, we're in, not mainly because of um, lack of organize, organization and lack of care. Yeah. Because, um, and, and those are the underlying issues here, right? Yeah. Um, I think that if if we didn't live in a society where we questioned everything and people just wore masks when they go out in public and didn't feel the need to resist something as basic as that, I mean, just follow the guidelines. Like what it's it's not the end of your life if you have when you go to the grocery store, you gotta wear a mask. Whether or not you question the efficacy, if they're telling you to do it, just do it. And that's what they do in countries like japan people wear masks it's the mask wearing culture yeah um and can, corona is much more controlled in Absolutely. Places, in places like that so i think you know it's a combination of policy it's a combination of our of our citizens always wanting to resist uh everything so i mean hopefully coming into the winter as these cases spike the biggest concern isn't obviously the virus most people it seems like are getting over, especially younger people. There are concerns with people with underlying causes, other things. But the issue overall, again, is our citizens. We do not have enough hospital beds with flu season coming along and corona for everybody who feels like they have corona to go check themselves into ER or hospital. That is my number one concern and the thing that that I pay attention to and I'm worried about in terms of just being safe and being precautious moving forward.
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I know you have really close ties to Houston. That's one of those areas that really <laughs> suffers due to population health being a big concern um, in that area. And if you look at uh, really a lot of the areas of the rural South, like Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, that's where some of the um, most at-risk health population in the United States lives. And it's also where the largest hospitals in the country are um, as a result. But uh, those are the populations um, that I'm concerned about the most from the standpoint of this, this uh, I don't know if it's the third wave or second wave, but this new wave that we'll be undergoing. But, you know, interestingly enough, uh, the coronavirus effects have kind of compounded with like the startup entrepreneur vibe everybody's been on. Everybody wants to, you know, work remote these days and live the yep. influencer lifestyle. Um, TikTok is creating a lot of opportunity for people during the quarantine, you know, um, Instagram has completely evolved as a social media platform into yeah. a commerce platform now. And, um, you know, people are moving to smaller cities. There's a whole exodus right now from LA where everybody wants to move to Texas all of a sudden and, uh, or Utah or, um, you know, a lot of these places that have higher quality of life for smaller standards, uh, Facebook rolled out a new compensation strategy where you could basically live anywhere you want in the country and your pay scale would be adjusted accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of those people, you know, there's a significant increase in quality of life to move to uh, like a Utah, for example, as opposed to living in the Bay Area. Um, so the question for you be is, is this good? Like, is this a short term thing that is a trend? Is this going to be the future of our economy? Is this just a wave that's going to happen for a little and um, it's not going to be able to last financially for a long time. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that it's important. This is actually underlying one of the, the more valuable parts of the American form of capitalism, right? Um, when things change this drastically, right? And a lot of the economy that we have now is non existent because people need money. They will adapt. And a new economy is created out of necessity. It's called creative destruction. And I honestly think that I love what I'm seeing from people who are not, who might be losing their jobs, might have situations changing, not just quitting, but figuring out and at least trying something new. You know, we're both entrepreneurs and we encourage entrepreneurship and not having a employee mindset, right? And I think with what we're seeing, you know, with COVID, we don't know there's hopeful news on a vaccine, but it does seem like this might be more of a new normal of people working from home, less interaction, office buildings being more vacant because companies can now save money because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have all that overhead if you have technology that allows you to now work remotely and reduce your cost, right? Yeah. Um, so I think those are great things. And then also seeing how rapidly people are getting into the PPE business, seeing these opportunities cr be created and jumping on them and making money. I don't know how long some of these economies will last, but overall, it's, I think it's a good thing, you know, um, and it's in contrast. And I'd say in our system, right, it's in direct contrast to what Germany's doing, right, which 
In Germany, they're controlling payroll. Their approach is, okay, we're going to support all our businesses' payroll because we're going to see the other side of this thing eventually. We need to keep these people employed. We need to keep the economy going. And when the other side comes, we won't have taken as much of a hit and we can return to normal more quickly. And I was going to ask you, do you think do you think you have a preference for one system or the other? Which one do you think is better? So I have a opinion that I have found many people to disagree with about this topic. I think remote work is not the future because okay. I've seen more misfires from companies. I've seen more mistakes. I've seen lower quality of content being put out in general across the board. Yeah. I don't think it's possible to um, live the same branding and marketing standards that have made the United States what it is yeah. without people collaborating in person. And that's because um, of energy. It's a vibe yeah. thing. You I can't. Agree work around it. So yes, there's a ton of jobs that you know you can push to remote work, but quality is lower. That's a fact. There's yeah. just no way you can ensure the same quality as when somebody's in the room with everybody else on their team working together on a project. It's just not possible. Yeah. So you know that's how I feel about it. Um, I think it, there's definitely going to be a shift and there's a lot of jobs that may stay remote, especially back office functions. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, other than that, I think that it's the right progression from an economic standpoint for our country. My view has always been that as we add automation into things, we're going to basically turn humans into the only thing that we do that computers can't do, which is dream, be inspired and be creative and tap into emotion. So I see a really a, a more artistic future for humanity than most would. And for that reason, I think that this is the right direction to take things. But ultimately, any job that can be done well remote is going to get automated. Yep. Yep. And, you know, one of the other kind of side effects of this is um, because jobs are moving more remotely in these high cost cities like San Francisco and New York, you're seeing people leave in mass because. Yeah. You and I both know that the cost of living in these cities is ludicrous. Um, even even for people who are making six figure salaries, they're sharing apartments um, in, in in cities like San Francisco. And you're seeing, you know, people that I know out in in New York are saying it's like a ghost town out there. Um, and people are moving in mass to smaller markets, which has two effects, right? For it creates issues, and I know they're offering a lot more rent incentives in New York, San Francisco. That market, the prices are probably going to go down. But in these smaller markets now, the people who live there already are now facing new challenges as their cost of living is going up, as these new folks who are used to paying higher prices are causing the market rates to go up. Do you think that this is something that's going to last? Um, and and do you think the future is in these smaller suburban markets? Is are, are human beings changing in terms of their priorities, or do you think this is a this is again a temporary effect of COVID? Cool. Because people are buying houses. Yeah, and here's what's places. weird, right? Is like to your point, there's a, a inventory shortage in LA right now, which means more people are buying than selling. Yeah, 
that's wild dude we yeah. like i'm looking at apartments right now and we missed one by it was on the market for four days already gone i mean that's how fast apartments are moving in la so as far as i can see people are jumping on the opportunity if they can to get into the big cities but i think the difference you know the the draw from a big city standpoint and i mean you've lived in new york um so you have an understanding of the difference but it's it's the people you're surrounded by and it's expensive because the value of the people is so great, but they accelerate everything you're trying to do on the business side of things. Yes. All your social relationships become, you know, economically fruitful. And that's a really unique and rare situation that can only happen when um, many, many, many decision makers who have tremendous impact on our economy are all in the same geographical area which is kind of what brings me back to, you know, that energy thing is people need to fill you out. They need to buy into you. They need to welcome you into the community of, you know, people who have a lot of weight or impact on, you know, how we move as a country. And um, you have to earn your spot there and then perform over time. Right. Yeah. So I'm just, I, I moved to LA specifically for the opportunity. The opportunity hasn't gone anywhere and more and more, especially through the quarantine, I'm seeing people really just start to ignore. I mean, people still wear masks, but ignore a lot of the rules in terms of, you know, getting together. I mean, we saw this weekend, Governor Newsom went to a birthday party that broke the the rules he's been preaching. And he apologized for that or whatever. But dude, when the governor is breaking the rules he's trying to enforce, then it's like a very clear sign to all of us that these are not livable rules. The human psyche, the human being, and how we connect with people doesn't work in the way we set things up. I mean, we're habitual, right? And we've had habits that have been built over hundreds of years. Yeah. Well, plus we need people around us physically to feel safe. We do. We do. So there's only so long we can can maintain this, this situation. Again, I think the overall handling of this in the United States is challenging because federal guidelines don't apply to each individual state. We don't have a universal understanding or a universal set of beliefs that everyone's following, right? And that also is important for human beings is to, for them, if you are going to set new guidelines and new laws, for them to be able to have those laws repeated and to be consistent. And right now we're not, we're not really having either of those. I think that's also creating challenges. Yeah. I mean, you can't regulate health like you regulate tax code. It can't change every four years. No, you can't. Yeah. So yeah, moving this forward. um, Let's talk about some sports real quick. So we saw um, he compared it on Twitter. He said, this is my version of dunking on somebody. <laughs> um, DeAndre Hopkins with this magnificent game-winning catch on the Hail Mary pass from Kyler Murray. I mean, what did you think of that just demonstration of just dominance? First of all, I'm going to say this, right? I own uh, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins on my fantasy team. <laughs> and I was playing with a guy who's, you know, one of my good friends who's trying to make a make the playoffs and he needed this win. And that play pretty much shifted me from losing to winning the game. <laughs> <laughs> and 
made him probably sick for a little bit. So <laughs> one thing I will say is being in Houston and, and seeing the growth of DeAndre Hopkins, you know, I know a lot of people in his circle. Um, the guy's mindset is very unique and very special. He does not does not have a negative mindset at all. Complete confidence in himself. Obviously, his skill set, his hands are like, human beings shouldn't have hands like that. <laughs> then all the other traits that he has, in addition to the most important thing, is utmost confidence in self. He felt like he was going to make that play. Yeah. You know? And Kyler Murray, too, and I think he's unique in that same way. I don't think they got the ball with 30 seconds left. No timeouts on their 30-yard line or something like that. And they drove down the field and scored a touchdown. And, you know, Kyler said, I was like, I knew DeAndre was there somewhere. And the difficulty of that play is just mind-boggling. The timing, you know, catching, high-pointing the ball over three different people. I mean, it's just, it's one of the most, it's, it's, it's hands down the most amazing play we've seen this year in sports. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it, unreal, unreal play, unreal execution. And just goes to show what happens when you're that much better than everybody else on the field. Yeah, there is, there are levels to this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's switch gears to the NBA. It's been fun to see all the trades this week. Um, I want to start with, uh, you know, my, my hometown Lakers, new hometown Lakers. Uh, they are saying that it's unlikely Rondo will resign. Avery Bradley's contract is expired, so they're going to have to work for him. So there's a, a real shortage on the guard spots. And Schroeder is somebody who, Dennis Schroeder from OKC, um, somebody who I saw play a lot when I, I, I used to go to a lot of the Hawks games in Atlanta. And man, am I a fan of Dennis Schroeder. He is mm-hmm. such an such an elusive point guard. The way he moves is incredible. He's able to just shake guys left and right. He's quick. He plays great defense. He's a dog. He gets aggressive and in people's faces. And he provides a lot of scoring and energy. Yeah, I really love this trade for the Lakers. And I know there were rumblings about Chris Paul. And I didn't think that that would be a good fit. Yeah. Just considering the type of games him and LeBron have, right? Yeah. I think Schroeder is somebody who can still play well with LeBron dominating the ball. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a key. And your your um your boy Anthony Davis is playing a little Hollywood here in his interviews too, <laughs> opting out of his contract and acting like he's talking about the Lakers as if he's not part of the team anymore. Uh <laughs> you think that's just creative theater or do you think there's actually a chance he might not resign? I would be shocked. I would be yeah. shocked, man. Yeah. I think he's just playing around a little bit because this is also when guys get their marketing deals. So yeah. when you get the headlines about you, which they weren't likely to be in this trade season, right? Yeah. Everyone just assumed, Oh, they won a championship. He's going to go back. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know when space jam two is coming out. Is he in there? I forgot what the list of athletes was. I'm sure they probably gave him a cameo as well. Right, yeah. right. But if I'm AD, I'm trying to get as many headlines on me right now as possible because this is this is age-wise. Like He's in his prime. He dominated on the court during this whole playoff run. And he has, uh, if he's re-signed to a long contract, the ability to be probably the best big in the NBA for the next 
you know, four to four to five years if he wants to be. And if he can stay healthy really is the biggest trick for him. Right. So right now, if I'm him and if I'm his agent, trying to get him as much money as I can. And since he's on the West Coast, I'm really trying to get him some equity and some startups. That's what I'd be doing if I was his agent. 100 percent. I think that's probably what he's most built for. Right. Because he doesn't, you know, Anthony Davis is a great basketball player. But in my evaluation of him as a in his interviews and personality wise, he doesn't necessarily have a larger than life personality. Right. So that doesn't mean you can't market him, but his team needs to be smart. And like you said, getting him involved in equity deals, there's just just uh, selling selling stuff on TV isn't the only way to make money anymore and isn't even the best way to make money anymore. So I think you hit the hit the nail on the head with that one. 100%. So we talked about the Lakers. Let's go to Chris Paul, who you mentioned, who's now playing for the Suns. So in my eyes, yeah, fantastic trade on both sides. OKC has so many picks, you can't even list them all now. Um, (laughs) Presti's the man, man. Yeah, extremely well executed from the standpoint of what they're trying to do as a team. The Suns, I think, realized during the bubble, oh, gosh, we might have something here. We might be able to be a four seed next year if we actually bring somebody else that, to play on this team. They have DeAndre Ayton, who's rock solid, Devin Booker, who's balling out. And you know they lose Rubio, sure. But bringing in Chris Paul gets you a much-needed facilitator who can help age your, your young guys, basically, from a mentality standpoint. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul is one of the best leaders in the NBA. and. You know, knowing a little bit about him, he's a hard driver too, right? And I think it takes a certain type of player to embrace him. Him and Blake Griffin had issues um, that are well documented with the Clippers. Um, But I think with this team, with someone like Devin Booker, who has the desire to be great, um, and, and also DeAndre Ayton, to have a point guard who can come in yeah, they lost Rubio, but to have a point guard who can come in and get you buckets when you need it in the clutch, um, as well as facilitate the growth of a big man. You got to remember, Chris Paul made Tyson Chandler look like an offensive threat back when he was with New Orleans. So I think for the growth of their bigs and DeAndre Ayton specifically, I mean, this this is a godsend for them. And I see yeah. them definitely competing in the competing in the West. Yeah, 100%. Now, they're not going to make the finals in the West, no. but yeah. they'll be in the playoffs, which is a yes. good step. Yes, yes, yeah. and, and the West is is wide open. Seeing another team be competitive in the West is interesting. And I, one thing I will always that I always have loved about Chris Paul is he didn't force his way to the Lakers or the Clippers. It seems like he's a guy that doesn't want to take a shortcut to a championship. And is willing to go the hard way, even if he doesn't get a ring. Yeah. And that's something that I I definitely admire about him. Yeah. And uh, just to talk about players forcing their their way to other teams. So there's been rumors about James Harden wanting to leave the Rockets and uh, forcing his way to Brooklyn. And uh, today he posted a video of him taking a cap off of a water bottle and putting it on the counter. So he's saying this is all BS. And... uh, that's interesting that that would become the storyline. I'm wondering, you know, all these rumors usually start somewhere and it makes me really, really curious who, who had an incentive to bring that up. 
Well, one thing I will say, brilliant marketing by Body Armor, right? Whether it was intentional yeah. or not. Well, anybody Harden, who know an owner in Body Armor. Yes, he is. He yeah. is. He's equity holder. Regardless, he might have literally just been trying to promote Body Armor, you yeah. know. But when the internet runs wild, you run with it, and you can't pay for the type of visibility and brand awareness um, that Body Armor has built through this situation. You know what I mean? That's so funny. I was actually dancing around them too because I didn't want to give out free smoke, but it's okay. We respect them. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. a great company. I know yeah. some, some people who work <laughs> over there. So they've, they've sponsored some things, so I don't mind. Uh, yeah, we, we showing, like them. Showing, yeah. showing them a little love. But the thing that I think is, is more telling is the fact that he turned down the opportunity to become the first $50 million a year player in the NBA, the two-year $100 million extension that Houston offered him, in conjunction with the trade of Robert Covington to the Blazers, I think signals that something might be amiss um, in Houston. Well, and um, Maury just left, which was big. Yes, Maury to- and D'Antoni. And Maury's in Philly, right? He's in Philly. Yeah, which is much needed for Philly because that's a a dumpster fire of a culture that they've got going on. They need to tweak some things. But they have a tremendous amount of talent over there. If they can put that together, add some supporting pieces the right way. Let's talk about Covington, who actually came from Philly, where he was balling out to the Rockets, where he was very solid this playoffs. And, um, you know, going to the Blazers, I think the Blazers really have a responsibility to do a whole lot more given the talent that they have in McCollum and Lillard. And it's, it's tough to watch them just continuously be medium good. Yeah. It's very tough to also compete in this NBA as a small market team, you know, Um, they've got Lillard and McCollum locked into big time deals. You know, I think, I'm not a fan of Nurkic personally yeah. uh, because I think he's soft. Um, and the last thing they need is an offensive big man. The team performed to me much, much better um, while he was out. You know, Whiteside is, has a clear role, knows his role and was freaking killing his stat line. Yeah. Um, but I do like this trade, right? Because it does signal that Portland is at least trying, right? Yeah. To now have McCollum, Lillard, um, Covington, and then also having a developing talent in Gary Trent Jr. Yeah. And then for people who like Nurkic, you know, people do like his game. I'm just not a fan of it. And then Whiteside, I mean, they've got a pretty good team. It's just that the West is just too stacked right now. Yeah, true. I mean, it is, again, it's a pretty good team. Yes, but that's it's just so it's not championship caliber team. No, and I think it's hard because Damian Lillard is is really a once in a generation type player. He's that good, and it's it's hard because he's also a humble guy. He's thoughtful. He's you know well mannered. He's just a put together guy that you're never going to see play this potential the way things are going. That's hard. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough catch 22, right? Because you admire the fact that he has a different mindset than a lot of this generation has, which is 
the Kevin Durant and sorry, LeBron James, but the Kevin Durant, LeBron James effect, which is I'm going to get with the best possible team to make sure that I win a championship. Lillard clearly, and he states it, his mindset is different. Yeah. You know? And that's what makes him such a great player and such a great competitor because he actually thinks and believes that he can beat the Lakers <laughs> with LeBron James and yeah. Anthony Davis, which just isn't going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, um, it's just just an interesting scenario. And it, it reminds me a lot of what happened to Chris Paul. Chris yeah. Paul might be the greatest point guard ever to play a game. If he had a couple of rings, I think that's the conversation yeah. we would be having about Chris Paul, but we're not because he doesn't have yeah. a ring. But to your point, both have been tremendously successful as NBA players. Great amount of endorsement deals they've pulled in off the field. They're good for life financially. Yes. And they've set up multiple generations for life. So from their perspective, they killed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think even judging a ring as success is is very tough because yeah. it does require, to your point, you need big market dollars typically to be able to make the right moves and attract the right talent to to win a championship. But, you know, I will say, oh, man, what wouldn't I love to see Damian Lillard like, on, on a big market team, you know, like with some really good players, with some yeah. like with a LeBron type or uh, an AD. Just a young, type. And just a young, if, you, if Giannis went there, yeah, these young guys went there, I think that's what we'd all love to see. But they do yeah. have a pretty good team, you yeah. know, and, and he did make it to the Western Conference Finals. So Damian Lillard does not need a lot, especially when he gets into one of those modes. Yeah. Um, and he can beat anyone. He's shown he can beat any team on a, any given night single handedly. Yes. So. yes, absolutely. Man, and he's fun to watch. Um, let's bounce to. So I didn't even see. Is this Justin Holiday and Bogdanovich who have gone no, to Drew the Holiday. A Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So I actually missed this trade, but I'm excited about this one. Um, the Bucks needed to do a lot to get Giannis's faith. Because this playoff run was, I think, exposing the bad moves they made last year. Losing Malcolm Brogdon was a significant hit, but I don't think they realize how impactful of a player he is because he's one of those guys who isn't showing up on the stat line comparative to what he does on the on the floor, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. seeing them go into the playoffs this year, I didn't. I have a friend who's like the biggest Giannis fan thought that the Bucks were going to get into the finals and win everything. I didn't think they were going to get close and it's because they missed, you know, glue pieces. They missed people who pulled the team together and did the, did the tough stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. And the other thing is that I think Eric Bledsoe in his time in Milwaukee has been exposed, right? Yeah. I have a lot of respect for Rich Paul for getting him a, getting him a, the massive deal that he got in um, the LeBron James effect again. So, you know, Rich Paul, but we saw over the last few years that, yeah, he's a, he's a very good defender. You couldn't rely on him on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And now to, to with holiday. Now you have a guy who's probably a better defender who also can give you points and you can give the ball to and make things happen. Um, outside of Giannis, right? And I also think the Bogdanovich trade was key too because now you have another guy. Now you've got Middleton, Bogdanovich, Holiday, Giannis, 
four threats on the offensive end. And then Brooke Lopez, who's kind of having a, a great second season of his career as kind of a big who can stretch the floor and hit threes. Yep. So I think they've gotten significantly better. And I think the Bucks also Giannis seems to be one of those guys. He's eligible for that Supermax extension right now. I think he's signing that Supermax now. They've done enough to show him that they're serious about winning a championship. 100%. 100%. And I mean, that's the kind of money that, again, you you really just don't turn down, especially with the background of Giannis coming from Greece, moving mm-hmm. to the States just to play basketball. Like, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I think this is one of those situations where if you don't even win a ring, kind of to the point of Damian Lillard too, if you don't win a ring, but you set yourself up compensation-wise that you know you don't even have to blink for the rest of your life you're good and you can spend the rest of your life you know figuring out what you want to do that just like intrigues you or interests you it's a pretty good place to be so i don't think there's any wrong decisions on Giannis's plate over the next year and i think the bucks are definitely trying and you know they have a good good ownership group a good crew around them yeah and a good coach yeah um you know and the other thing the last thing i'll say on it is you know, there's a lot of hype. I, I can't wait until a group of guys, um, we're seeing it at the high school level, some guys going to HBCUs, but a group of guys decides, you know what? We're going to become winners in a market like Charlotte or Milwaukee because I know a lot of guys who aren't at that level of celebrity who spend their careers in smaller markets, but the value that they gain by being a hero in those smaller markets um, sometimes has a huge payoff that that lasts a lifetime when certain guys even face adversity later on in life, these smaller market cities, they rally around them, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And that's, that's, that's something we also have to, to value and take into consideration. LA isn't for everyone. New York isn't for everyone. Um, And, and we have to respect these guys' decisions. Yeah. And to your point, the longevity there is crazy. If you were, you know, a successful basketball player who went to Indiana University, you're good anytime you walk into that state for the rest of your life. Exactly. That holds a lot of weight. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so onward to music. Uh, We've had, unfortunately, some rough stuff happening in the music industry. It's honestly, it's honestly felt like it's worsened over the last couple of years here, but um, a tremendous amount of shootings that are just heartbreaking when you see so much talent getting caught up in in these scenes. Uh, Benny the Butcher and Lil Boosie both. Uh, Man, I mean, it's it's tough to to hear about this because everyone who's getting shot is so promising and we yeah. just never you know benny just dropped i think that was his debut album that i was listening to just a few weeks back he just dropped a full album yeah. i mean it's hard to see people go who have never even gotten the chance to like live their destiny yeah it's a changing landscape right you know the unfortunately violence is a real part of america Gun culture and drug culture is a huge part of America. Um, And it's sad to see specifically, I think, you know, you see situations like Takashi 69 who just by virtue of embracing something that he isn't even a part of become a huge superstar, right? 
And then also see the culture on Instagram where, you know, Jay Prince has a line of, if you campaign hard enough, you're going to get elected eventually. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. You know, you know this and, and we know this being from third world countries, that if you have money, you don't flash it. Yeah. If you've got power, you don't flash it. And if you do, you do it in controlled environments. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately in hip hop culture and capitalist American culture, flash is everything. And flash actually creates a return on investment in certain yeah. circumstances. So yeah, it's it's easy to say, oh yeah, don't flash on Instagram. Don't do this, don't do that. But if it's helping you make more money and helping you create a a lifeline for generational wealth for your family, that's what the catch twenty two is here, right? Yeah. Obviously we don't vi- want violence. We don't want drugs. We don't want people shooting each other. But at a certain point is is this a product of the environment and the culture that we create in America? It's all glorified. All the video yeah. games that are the top sellers are the ones with most killings. All the movies that are the most popular are the ones with most killings. Drug culture and drug shows are the most popular. So what do they expect the citizens to follow? You know yeah. what I mean? Like Yeah. What I think, you know, you see the same thing with OnlyFans from a cultural perspective yeah. where, you know, if somebody tells you, hey, if you if you start taking your clothes off, you can make a really, really good amount of money and not have to, you know, work a job you don't like or, you know, all these other things. That's really compelling, especially for somebody who's, you know, stuck against the wall and doesn't really know what to do. But I'll say as a business person, I feel a certain level of ethical ob- obligation to not use a business model that preys on the bad parts of our psyche, like the parts of us that involve desperation or fear. I don't want to make money on your fear. I don't want to make money on negative emotion. I want to make it on positive emotion, leave leave people better, even as a result of seeing an ad than they were before, right? Even if they don't buy our products. And, you know, it's hard with, with, Obviously, you're going to have these things happen in the world. And we're privileged as a nation to even be having the conversation about what type of business models we want to use or not use because, you know, people are still struggling to pay their bills week to week. So they don't care where the money comes from. They just need the money to come in. So I totally understand that perspective. But I really, really hope that as we grow, we see greater, you know, self-policing from the standpoint of what impact we're having and i think facebook twitter all we're seeing is a byproduct of these social media platforms is an example of this if founders really take the time i think every founder should spend more time on philosophy yeah because if they take the time to ask themselves what kind of impact am i really having on the market i think we'd see a lot of people decide not to build the companies they might set out to build and would it mean they're a little bit less wealthy at the end of the day yeah maybe but the world might be a significantly better place than the version of it where you collected all that wealth on, you know, bad, bad psychological things for the world, like we're seeing with social media, not to say that it, it probably shouldn't have launched and developed because it would have, but um, with thought about your impact on the world, you can set policies along the way that you're limiting the harm from things that are addictive, like social media. Definitely. You know, and taking, taking the incentive away, like, and I can, just some quick color on this. Like I've been in meetings with many record executives in the, in the hip hop space. And 
you would be amazed the number of times we went into meetings and we would play music and they'd be like, where's the hard stuff? Where's the harder stuff? We like hard stuff here. And it's like, so that's what you want to promote. You're not even seeing that there's an opportunity in artists like Drake and Kendrick and all these other people. That's how indoctrinated it is in your head that you're not even able to see beyond that. And, and you make that deal with yourself. And, you know, we talked about with Reza, some of the, some of the the conflicts he had. So that was just quick. We can move on now. Yeah. So we saw Scooter Braun finally sell all the masters for Taylor Swift's music. Um, Man, that's been an ongoing feud, really Twitter feud for the last year or two years. And um, Scooter, somebody I have a tremendous amount of respect for. We run in the same circles. Uh, he's from Atlanta as well, um, so he's got a really fun story that we'll have to, you know, talk about at some point. But um, there was a lot of conflict here because he didn't want to sell the masters, which he had bought from her um, previous record label, and. Uh, you know, there was so much beef where Taylor Swift was calling this unfair. And I just want to say, you sign the deal. Get over it. You know what I mean? And if you want to buy the thing after the fact that somebody else owns that you signed to them, then, yeah, I think there should be a conversation. But if they don't want to sell, if they don't want to sell, you're out of luck. And that's just kind of how business goes. Right. But it's kind of instead of using society to put pressure on that person and make them an outcast, like you could just continue to build a relationship with them, express to them why this would be meaningful to you and get them on your side. That's the way I've always done business. It's always worked that way. It just takes longer and it takes a lot more patience and self-discipline with your emotions. So that's kind of my way, my color of, of doing a deal like this. And I'll also say her father is a record executive. So, I think he should have known a lot better if this was going to be a problem down the line in negotiating her contract. Yeah. I mean, look, the record industry is an industry of exploitation. Um, And for anyone that's listening, remember that the record industry is an industry of exploitation. Should this be the way that it is? Absolutely not. Because when creators create work and create art, they, just from a philosophical standpoint, are entitled to dictate how that art is distributed and have control over it because it is their art. That's my personal philosophy on it. Now, the way that the business model is set up, the record industry makes money by taking control of that because artists just want to create art. They don't always want to think about business. They want someone else to control that. But if you look at the number which this has sold, $300 million, you realize how much money is being made on a lot of these artists. Obviously, Taylor Swift is one of the biggest artists in the world, so her numbers are going to be higher. But you look at that and you look at some of these advances that record labels give. And again, typically they're given an advance. An advance is a recoupable investment. There needs to be some change in how record contracts are negotiated just as in the conversation we were just talking about, to be more fair and more equitable and give the artist more of a voice. You know, I do have a lot of respect for Scooter Braun, um, but I think he could have done a better job here as well because he's made a lot of money off of Taylor Swift. 
in his own life, for his artist, someone that he has to be this impacted and this concerned about this, I think there could have been a better solution on both sides here. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective. I totally agree. I also want to want to point out, you know, Kanye has been on this for a while too recently about the record record industry contracts. So if a deal's not good, don't sign it. And that's your responsibility. I don't care if you're an artist. I don't care if you're an entrepreneur. I don't care if you're an employee. If the deal's not good, don't sign it. And how do you know if the deal is good or not? That's on you. You got to do the research. You got to learn. People would be shocked to know how much time I spend with my friends who are great lawyers and great tax accountants. Yeah. That's what you need to know in this world to be financially successful and also be taken care of from a risk side legally. It's like the most important things that you need to know, but they don't teach you that in school. And that's a huge problem. And it's something that I advocate for strongly. And it's something that I'm actually helping implement in the school that I went to for high school, helping to put programs like that into the system so that kids will actually learn the the skills they need to succeed. But it's so critical. As long as artists sign bad deals, the industry is not going to change. So artists have to all get together and decide, okay, this is the minimum. And we, we've seen it in film. There's a union. And the yes. same thing can happen in the music industry if they want to. If the general consensus is that, you know, people aren't going to do the extra research. So we have to do it for them. But that's an industry thing. It, and in film and in entertainment and music and all of that, the potential to be famous is so um it hangs over every conversation yeah because there's so much power in okay. fame yes and it drastically warps people's abilities to make decisions that are reasonable or rational because they get so caught up into that and record execs take advantage of that and that makes sense to me it makes a ton yeah. of sense i mean creatives creatives are creatives right we know yeah. it's very hard to both be a creative and be a sound entrepreneur because that's not what you've trained yourself to be. So therefore, I think, you know, the last thing that I'll say on this is you don't need a record label. You don't. You have a good attorney, a good accountant, a good marketing person. People who value your talent will work with you and grow with you. And those are the type of people you need to find anyways if you want to be a successful artist. You don't want someone who's paid to be a part of your team. Yeah. At the outset. If you want to get really successful (laughs) in 2020, independent, here's the business model. Grab one person who believes in you like crazy, who you think is the smartest person you've ever met that's ride or die on your team, a longtime friend. Get them to move into a house or an apartment with you in LA or New York. Spend all of your time meeting with startup founders, tech executives, lawyers, and attorneys. If you're the, the friend, if you're the artist, spend all of your time making the dopest art you can with the dopest people you can and collaborate, 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 and get your name out there. And the rest will work itself out. That's exactly. how demand gets created. Exactly. I think but people got to get both sides. Yep. And you've got to be talented, yeah. right? Like there are hustles, but hustles don't last. You know, yeah. be authentic. Don't chase the money. And, but if you are going to be in this business, make sure you do take care of your money. You know, yes. Yes. Uh, I think that's, that's a good way to look at it. Yes. And then the last thing to mention today is that there's a new versus battle that, man, I'm surprised this has happened. Uh, Gucci Mane and Young Jeezy, you know, their relationship has been very distant for most of their lives. And 
it's because um, there's a, there was a shooting of uh, at Gucci Mane's house. This is like lore. This is legend. Yeah. He was sleeping and somebody came in <laughs> to shoot him. I think it was a group of guys. And apparently he rolled out of bed and he shot all of them, right? Yeah, some, something crazy yeah. like that. So Gucci Mane and I have a pre-existing relationship that's interesting. When uh, When I was in college, I used to email him while he was in jail. And we would talk about marketing for some of his projects. And just like toss around ideas, you know, I, I was helping him put together teams to execute yeah. some ideas he had. Super random relationship that just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And, um, you know, I've been a little bit in that scene when I was in Atlanta. Not yeah. super, super heavy because I didn't have, let's say, the the right relationships to show up. Like the first time I went to one of the clubs that that was kind of more popular in that world, there was a shooting. And yeah. so I just, I just didn't go back. I was just like, this is not it for me, but yeah. that's really how that scene is, you know, to the point of what we're talking about with um, the younger artists, the street life and, and hip hop life, especially in Atlanta is very, very closely overlapped. Yes. So you have to make sure you have the right people with you. You have to roll with the right crew. You have to know all the players and that that's an, an entire endeavor in its own. So to see these two guys, you know, really from opposite sides of the aisle, so, so speaking, decide to do this together is big for me and hopefully this turns into the type of platform that we've seen in la with um with the gangs here where they come together and this is something i would love to see just for the benefit of the world but i would love to see more people on opposite sides of these issues come together and say hey we need to put you know our communities really these minority communities first we need to take care of each other we need to build each other up we got to work together because in this society if you fight each other as minorities, there's always somebody ready to just let you keep fighting while they collect yes, money. Exactly. Exactly. You you keyed in on a key point there. And I think there's two two takeaways. First of all, you know, I've always admired Gucci Mane. Um, not because I think he's the best rapper or most talented, but because I think he's really smart. Like a really, really smart guy who knows how to pick the right artists right collaborators has an ear and your story just like kind of underlines and, and, and legitimizes that thought, right. Um, of why he's successful and why he got to the point of success that he's at now. Um, now, as far as like artistically, everybody from Atlanta would much, I would say would much rather have seen what they were saying initially, which was TI and Jeezy. Yeah. Um, because I think they're on the same level and talent wise, but like you said, there's, this is bigger than that. And hopefully there are moments on this versus battle, um, which, you know, we're recording, we haven't seen yet. Um, but we'll see, hopefully they do take a moment to address that. And, 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 and and we, we all grow from that. And let's also remember Jeezy was always, yeah, I, I would consider him a more interesting artist other than the song Lemonade by Gucci Mane, which is, yeah. in my opinion, one of the top 10 songs ever. But yeah. outside of that, Gucci is the father of trap music. He's yeah. the reason for Young Thug. He's the reason for most trap music out of Atlanta. Yeah. So I think we have to also look at them differently where Gucci's really, he's more like of an organizer. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, he found all the talent. He made it happen. And 
you know, Jeezy's really been more the artist. He's done more of the, you know, he's been the guy at the Hawks games, you know what I mean? He's been the guy who does the thing and shows up to the places like Ludacris does, like 2 Chainz does, like T.I. Yeah. does. These guys play and Lil Baby's kind of going down the Jeezy path. But yeah. there's also this whole other culture around Gucci Mane, which is its own thing. And it's so dynamic and colorful and interesting. So they're very, very different in terms of how they yeah. move as well. At some point, Gucci will get his flowers as a, as a record mogul. You yeah. know, I think he's even more valuable as that uh, than he is as as an artist himself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, V, this has been a fun one to chat about with you. Definitely. What a great news and notes! I'm so excited to see how some of these trades shape out. I'm really excited to watch this Ohio State game this weekend. To be honest with you, yeah, I am too. Man. Well, with that being said, we have a pretty, pretty exciting interview coming up for you guys. So I'm not going to spoil it yet. We'll give it to you in the intro and um, let that kind of build. But um, until then, man, excited. Yeah, let's get it, man. Um, let's get it. That's all we have for news and notes. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. That does it for today. We really appreciate everybody for listening. And remember, as always, be you, you is fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot.